Well, we are continuing our series this morning on the family, and this morning we're talking about influence, and particularly how do we influence the next generation? Because that's really what we have to be about. Because after us, if we don't influence the next generation, after us, what's left? But the next generation, to grab the torch and to carry it on. So, Mitch, thank you for looking out for me this morning. I'm sorry I was making you nervous over there. I didn't, need, I didn't need your help this morning, but someday I'll need your help and you'll be there. So thank you. I appreciate it. So influence, influence in life is showing up. It's all about showing up and making a difference. They say that, what, what do they say, that uh, um, half, of, uh, half of something is effort? and the other 90% is showing up, something like that, uh, emphasizing the importance of just showing up and being there. And um, our best chance to have influence in the life of our kids, in the lives of our kids, and in the lives of our, the kids in our church family is simply by showing up, by showing up. And showing up means up close and personal, and the best place to show up is in our homes as parents. And the next best place to show up is, if we don't have kids in our homes, to show up in the lives of the kids that we are most closely connected to. We have to show up. But there's a problem, and there's a reason why often we don't show up and influence the lives of our kids the way we want to and really the way we need to. And I think that the greatest deterrence to that is that, especially when they're young, when they're young, it's a, there's not that instant and immediate gratification, right? Because yesterday I, I had to, uh, I was with my two and a half year old grandson, and I was smelling something, and you know, I was sure that where there was smoke, there was fire. And I wasn't disappointed. I took him in the house. We were out watching Dad mow the lawn. And I took him in the house, and this was one of the biggest jobs I've done in quite a while. Now, my wife gets a lot of those yet, but uh, I haven't done one quite like that. It was quite a work of art, and I had to take a lot of uh, the little wipes and all that. And he wasn't laying there saying, oh, thank you, Papa. Oh, this feels so much better. I mean, doesn't it? It feels so much better. It must feel so much better than what was there. But he doesn't say that. In fact, instead... He's kicking his legs around, right? And he's making matters worse. So you don't get that instant gratification. If you're middle schooler, when you, when you buy him or her a new pair of running shoes or a new pair of athletic shoes that cost because they've got to get the team colors and they've got to get their team number on it and maybe their, their uh, initials, it costs, you know, $160 for what you think to be a $60 pair of, of athletic shoes or maybe even $230 these days. Your kid doesn't necessarily say, oh, thank you, you're the best parent in the world, you've sacrificed, you've worked so hard. No, not all, because, because you're the mom or you're the dad. You're supposed to do that, right? So you don't get that instant satisfaction and uh, that instant, um, that instant uh, appreciation from your kid. Even as they get older and you're watching your adult kids parent their kids and you're watching the universe get even, right, with your kid for what they did with you, somehow your adult kid doesn't really realize they're being gotten even with right away in that moment. You don't even get the satisfaction of that sometimes. But there are windows of time 
when the input, input, input over time, all of a sudden there's a dividend. <gasps> I wasn't even expecting it. And you get that hug or you get that, that kind note from your kid or you get that phone call saying, you know, Mom, I just had to call you and tell you what so-and-so did or, 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 or Dad, you know, I'm out here and I'm with a buddy and I'm helping him with this and thanks for helping me with it and because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today without you. But those times are few and far between and that's the problem with influencing the next generation is we often default to children should be seen, right, and not heard. The older generation used to say that. I remember hearing that as a kid. Children should be seen and not heard. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Children should be heard. They should be listened to, right? They should be loved. They should be cared for. They should be trained. They should be disciplined. They should be corrected and instructed. They should be guided. A lot of things. But the last thing is that they should be seen and not heard. But the best kind of influence is personal. It's personal. It's that one-on-one influence that we can have, and we often have to, have to decide we've got to change the way we think about influence. Because in the adult world, influence is about having things like power. So if you have power over somebody, we think that that's having influence. So over my grandkids, they're at the age now where I have power over them. I can just pick them up and put them where I want them. I could stand and quarter them off from danger. I have power over them. But, and, and you may have over your little kid. You may have power over your kid right now or your grandkid or the neighbor's kid. But at some point, they grow up. They're not going to be two or three for very long. They're not going to be eight or nine. But they get older and they get freedom. And what is your influence going to be like then? Sometimes then the influence isn't that strong because you haven't built in to that relationship and you haven't developed that trust. Some people think, some people think that uh, success is influence. If I'm successful, I'll have influence. Maybe you have a great job or you built an impressive portfolio or a business. Maybe you, you lead a sales team or you manage a staff at work or you meet and consult with people all the time. Uh, maybe you're the owner of the business or you're, you're some kind of a seasoned leader. And when you're out of the house, you get all these accolades and all this respect and, and all this praise, but then you go home and your kid is telling you you're not putting the peanut butter on the bread just right, right? Or, or your, your, your middle schooler or high schooler is not exactly enamored with the decision you're making about their life on a Friday night. Or your, your college-age uh, kid isn't really crazy about the fact that you don't approve of their friend group. And all of a sudden, all the success outside of the home isn't really helping you out inside of the home. And so influence is something that we really have to work on because we may have, uh, we may have success outside the home. We, we may have more power than somebody else. We may even have positional authority. We may not be in a position of authority over somebody. We think that that has influence. A few weeks ago, I was ready to get on the plane, and I went through the security, and I was randomly selected to get the full-body pat-down. And so I had to, you know, stand there. And, and, and then two years ago, I went, or not two years ago, a year ago, last summer, I was traveling, and I got to the airport, and I had 52 minutes, and I'm going through TSA, and all of a sudden I opened my wallet, and my, my 
driver's license wasn't there. And I just drew a complete blank. I had no idea where it was. And I'm in line, and there's people behind me, and I'm about ready to go through. And I've got to tell them, I don't have, I don't have a, a picture ID. In fact, I don't really have any legitimate ID. So after much cajoling and begging, they decided they would let me get on the plane if I submit to a full body pat on, like a complete, you know, search. I keep my clothes on, but a complete search. So I'm like, well, okay, well, now I start kind of chuckling to myself because I know I'm a little bit ticklish, and that's, I don't mean to make this funny or anything. So, but two weeks ago, when I'm standing there, I, the guy's behind me, and, I, and I'm, standing, I'm standing like this, and he says, widen your stance. And so I go, and he goes, no, widen your stance. And I'm like, okay, okay. So we had fun with it, and I, was, you know, I didn't giggle that much, and, he, you know, and it was fine. And afterwards, I shook his hand. I said, you know what, honestly, thank you for doing your job to keep us safe. And he looked at me like, wow, that's, nobody really says that to me. But, you know, if I'm in the supermarket in the produce aisle, and I, and I worked in many produce departments myself, and if I'm there and I'm reaching for a head of lettuce and the produce worker says, ah, 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 before you take that lettuce, full body pat down, come on, come on. I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to let this person touch me. But in a position of authority, a TSA worker, I'm going to submit to the search because I want to get on the plane and because they have a position of authority, So power, success, position of authority, we think that those are the things that will influence us until we try to use those with our kids. How about if we try to get the trust of somebody? Gain trust in a trusting and loving relationship. That means that we have to show up and that we've got to make it personal. We've got to get close and we've got to influence from the heart. And so we realize that influence needs to be earned. If you want to have influence in your son's life, in your neighbor's life, in your, in your granddaughter's life, your nephew's life, your, your, your niece, you have to care enough to keep showing up in a purposeful and personal way. And you know what? That takes time. We don't have that much time these days. We don't have that much time. So we have to be very strategic about our investments and very intentional. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse, uh, yeah, chapter 6, in verse 1, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Positional, right? Authority. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, he, Paul could have stopped there, but he didn't stop there. He said, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. When you get up close and personal, when you're building a relationship with them, don't exasperate them. You can't just pull out the parent card, pull out the dad card, pull out the older New Testament card and say, hey, I've got the authority here. He's saying don't exasperate your kids. Instead, what you do need to do is bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So whenever we train or instruct, what do we normally do? We say, well... um, First, first we're doing it, so we've got to somehow set some kind of an example. And then we say to them, okay, I'm going to do it, and you watch me, and you ask me questions. Then the next step is you say, okay, I'm going to do it with you, right? We're going to do it, and I'm going to observe, and you can ask me questions, but I'm going to give you input. And then the next step is, okay, you're going to do it, 
and then I'm going to give you input. I'm going to watch you and give you input. And then the final step is you're doing it, and I'm nowhere in sight. So from step one to step five, we've got about 18 years. 18 years to get here. 18 years. Sometimes 19. Okay, some of you are 26, you know, and the kid's still home, maybe 26 years. But a mere 26 years, right? We've got to develop trust and influence and a personal relationship with our kids so that we can hand them off into life and so they can actually be successful in life. So we as a church know that the church has influence on kids. And parents and the family have influence on kids. And those separate influences, influencing separately, are not as powerful as if the family and the church work together to have influence on kids. The combined influence of the light of the church and the love of the family together can make a huge difference in the lives of kids, difference in the lives of kids. Some of you, when you were kids, you know you went to church and your family didn't go. You went by yourself. Others of you went with your family and your parents took you. So I happened to have been the first one. I went, but my parents didn't go. So I knew that my relationship with God was dependent on me. Honestly, I can't imagine if my dad actually went to church and actually would talk to me about his faith in God. I, I never experienced that. I would come home and you wouldn't talk about it. I mean, you couldn't talk about it. When I could talk about it was when my dad had been drinking. Then he would ask me some questions. Then we could talk. You know, you got to loosen up the gears and oil up the throat a little bit, you know. You get drink, a few drinks, and then, then he could tell me he loved me, and we could talk about, you know, things. But my sober dad, great guy, but you just didn't talk about that stuff. So those of you who happen to be here this morning, you're here. You've got a relationship with your kids that's, that's somewhat focused around God already you can have those kinds of conversations. And what Londa is doing, what Amber is doing, what they're doing with our kids in the nursery and in the kids' ministry is trying trying to support and encourage parents. They've got this thing called a parent cue, which over the next weeks you'll be hearing more about to try to cue you at times when it's a good opportunity to have a conversation with your child. Good opportunity to talk and to ask questions and have a conversation and build into their life. So I want to invite Amber and Londa to come up at this time. They're going to take it from here, and they're going to talk about these, these marbles that are up here. I'm probably going to break these. I don't know how to... How do you open these, Londa? Oh. I just wanted to touch them. I've been watching them all morning. Anybody remember the cane mutiny? Some of you do. Somebody does. Help me. So, you guys are going to talk about the marbles, which, for the illustration, I've lost all my marbles, right? I don't have any. No. You have a lot of marbles. I have a lot of marbles. So, tell us about (laughs) the marbles. Thanks. So, from the time that our kids are born until they turn 18, we have approximately 936 weeks with them. 936 weeks to influence them and to parent them and to help them grow in their relationship with God. You have 936 weeks with my kids. These jars of marbles here represent my kids. This is Lucas. He's eight. 
I have 532 weeks left with him. This is Rayleigh, she's five. I have 660 left with her. And this is my little one, Jason. I have 811 weeks left with him. But it's not just about what I have. It's not just about how many weeks I have because it's your job too. I had my kids up here and dedicated them just like this morning, and the church family pledged to help me influence my kids. And it's the church and the family working together to influence that. So we're going to talk about the different phases in the kid's life. You want to talk about your marble first, don't you? About my marble? Yeah. All right. I told Amber first service she was just kind of showing off with all of her marbles (laughs) (laughs) because I do have a first grader, so I do have some marbles left. But I have one child in my home, and I told Parker this morning, yeah, hi, Parker. I found the biggest marble that I could find because it's the only thing I have left with him. I literally three and a half days of school, and Parker graduates high school. So I'm going to hold on to this marble all week long because I ju- I, I'm not ready to let go. Who's, you're there, right? If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's really hard when you get to the point and you have, you've lost them. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the different phases in a kid's life. And a phase, we want to define it as the time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinct opportunities to influence their future. So we break it up into a couple sections. It's why you see up here the tricycle and the bicycle and the car. Different levels, different phases in a kid's life. So from the zero to one age, this is the phase when nobody sleeps, everybody smells, and one mesmerizing baby convinces you, I need you now. From one to two, that's the phase when nobody's on time, everything's a mess, and one eager toddler will insist, I can do it. And from three to four, this is the phase when anything can be imagined, everything can be a game, and one curious preschool wants to know, why? 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 There's three important questions that our kids are asking at that age. Am I safe? Am I able? And am I okay? And it's our job as parents and as a church family to embrace their physical needs, to incite wonder, to know God's love, and to meet God's family. In the kindergarten through first, this is the phase when unfiltered words make you laugh, the school bus makes you cry, and life becomes a stage where your kid shouts, look at me. Second to third grade, this is the phase when fairness matters most. Differences start to get noticed, and your enthusiastic kid thinks anything sounds like fun. Fourth and fifth, the phase when your friends are best friends, games are for competition, and your confident kid will insist, I've got this. The three questions kids ask in this phase, do I have your attention? Do I have what it takes? Do I have friends? And your role is to engage their interest, provoke discovery, to trust God's character, and to experience God's family. I'll go a step further um, within the church, you know, that starts all the way in the nursery, that this year Amber has started providing um, Bible stories. So if you have littles in the nursery, they are being spoken into the Word of God every week when they're in there. And I think you've heard some kids are even coming home. And Yeah, you think they're not listening. I mean, I have some volunteers in here, and sometimes the kids sit at the table, and sometimes they walk away. I mean, it's like that at home, too. But they are hearing it. I've had parents come back and say... 
that the kids are repeating the Bible story, that they're repeating the motions that goes with the memory verse that we have. It's so important to invest and be intentional um, at that young age. So by the time they get to my area here in the church, K-5, you know, we're diving a little deeper into the Bible, but we have a good time and we have some fun too, and the kids like like games. So everything needs to be age-appropriate for what they're ready for at that time. So as we move on um, from the... From the elementary school phase, you move into middle school. <laughs> it's a whole different world with middle schoolers. They start asking, what do I like? Who do I like? And it may be someone different every week that they like. The, the friend rotation, may, they may go through it often. They ask, who am I on a regular basis? Maybe not to you, but they're definitely asking that question on the inside. And they're motivated by acceptance. So the social media world has taken over and it's so easy to put something out there and I'm sure check often who has liked it and who has commented because they are fueled by acceptance at that age. The very last stage before you lose all of your marbles um, is represented by the car because they're driving and they're more independent at that age and they're asking the questions, where do I belong? Why should I believe? And this is a really big one. Amber and I went to a conference a couple weeks ago. Pastor Jeff was there. And they gave the statistic that 73% of the kids that are in your church now will walk away from the church when they leave um, your home. 73%. So only 27% of the kids in the church actually stay in the church. And the only difference in all the research that they have done is that they had influence um, outside of their parents. Their parents were not the only ones speaking into their life. So you may not have kids at home right now, and you may not have grandkids, but you're here in the church, and that 73% should startle you. So we should all want to walk alongside kids. If you love Jesus, you should be trying to speak that into people that you know, because I'm not okay with only 27% of our kids walking away with an authentic faith for Jesus. That should matter. So the last thing that they say is, what will I do now? And this has been a big one with only my one marble left. 18-year-olds are deciding what they want to be for the rest of their lives. Who knew? That's crazy because they're still kids. But that is the question that they're asking, and a lot of us are asking them all that that same thing now, especially at graduation time. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? So church matters, and the people here um, loving on the kid matters. So with that 73%, I think a huge part of that, and also with that question that they're asking with what do I believe, it, I think it's so important to have your influence. I think that what's going to take it from that 73% walking away and figuring out what I believe on my own, not just what my mom and dad have told me or what I've learned in the home, but what do I really believe? That's where you step in. That's where the church family steps in because you're another influence. You're another faith story, another personal relationship that can speak into their lives. And I have a very personal story that relates to this. Both of my kids, my eight-year-old Lucas and my five-year-old Rayleigh, gave their hearts to Jesus this year. And Lucas has started on a Wednesday night in their small group with his small group leader, Brian Van Clay, and some kids, some kids that were from church and some kids that aren't. 
And I don't even know what the topic was or how they got to this, but somebody asked, how do I accept Jesus? What does that mean? And they started asking questions. And Brian recognized, he looked at my son and the other kid who's from our van ministry that doesn't come from a church family and knew that Lucas could come home and ask me and ask his dad. And he told Lucas, write down your questions, and after we leave, you go home and you talk to your mom and dad. And then Brian focused on the kid who doesn't have that at home. And that kid ended up giving his life to Christ that night too. Lucas came home. We had a conversation. We prayed. He gave his life to the Lord. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's how the church and the family work together. Rayleigh's was a little bit easier (laughs) at bedtime. She said, Mom, I just don't really know how to ask Jesus into my heart. I said, well, it's easy. You just ask him. You just believe. And she said, that's it. Let's do it now. I wish it was that easy for everybody. And then after we prayed, she said, well, what do I do now? Just keep doing what we've been doing. You keep reading the Bible. You keep loving your enemies and trying to be like Jesus. We just keep doing what we're doing. That's why it's so important to have that work together. Yep. So it all matters to every one of us, no matter where you are in your walk, because time over time is important. And it hit me just this morning, time over time, like you think, oh, time over time. No, the amount of time that is being invested into our children now, over time, from birth all the way until they graduate high school, and even then, not to take my college kids out of the equation or adult children, it's important to keep going. But for today's purposes... The time we invest in all of our kids now, over time, is important. And it starts with the very first phase. So I'm going to read it so I can say it right. When you see how much time you have left, so think about the kids in your life and the kid that you know. When you see how much time is left, you tend to value what happens over time. So we need to make sure that we're investing into our kids and that we're getting our kids here because... There's lots of adults here that want to love on your kids. So you shouldn't be the only influence, and you should make sure that if you love Jesus that you are trying to influence the next generation as well. It can seem like a big task. We have a lot of kids that are here on Wednesday nights. We have a lot of kids that are here on Sundays. And I just want, I just feel like I need to encourage you that it's not like we, you have to go out and love every, or get to know every single kid, but just influence one kid. Just get to know one kid. Learn their name. Find out where they live. Find out what's going on in their family and how to speak potential and influence into their life. All of you who are walking with the Lord had one person. You can name one person who influenced your walk with the Lord, and that's, that's really what it's about. Can I tell a story? Yes. It wasn't planned, and I didn't ask permission, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <clears throat> so Parker's graduating from high school, and this year he had a questionnaire that he had to fill out. And he, he called me, and he said, Mom, I'm going to send it to you. There were 10 kids that had to fill this thing out, and a publication was, was printed on it. And so he called me, and he said, I just want you to know I sent it to you, but before you read it, I want you to know that I thought parents were a given. So I didn't really understand what he was saying, but I opened it in my uh, email, and I started reading it, and I started reading other kids as they answered the questions. And one of the questions was who has influenced your life in a big way. And a a lot of them, I would say seven out of ten, my parents, my parents, my mom, my dad, influenced me. And I got to my kids, and 
It wasn't me, and it wasn't my husband. So my first reaction, forgive me, Lord, but was, well, you little punk. Like, <laughs> I have been there and been there, and he didn't put me. You know who he did put? He put Jared Gerber. And I'm going to throw Melanie into that. So this is what it all boils down to. He put in that questionnaire what Jared Gerber and Melanie mean to him and the time that they have invested into him as small group leaders in high school. That matters a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a given. Absolutely. I'm a given. But he mentioned Jared because Jared is that one guy that he's going to go off to college next year and he's going to know Jared's got his back. Every single one of us should have the, the Gerbers. <laughs> And people like the Gerbers because Paul and Jeanette Fields have been feeding into Sunday school classes for high school for a long time. And many, many, many of you, as I look out, have fed into kids as small group leaders over the years. And that is how we're going to be part of the 27% that leave here with authentic faith. It's a big deal. It's that big of a deal. Should we close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for moms and we thank you for all of the people that have gathered today that care about the next generation and really care about the future of the church and bringing our kids up to know Jesus. It's a really big deal, Lord, and we thank you for being in the midst of this space today and for being in our lives. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer um, during this last song, there will be people up here. If you want to be prayed with, they're here for you. Use them.